afternoon, Spark. We are so excited to be with one another. I want to just continue to thank all of you for all of your contributions to the service, to our church and our community, to the life of those around us. And we are just grateful to be together and to be Spark. Um, in that, we'd like to start our December series called Hope in the Dark, which is not that we have hope in the darkness, but that we have hope when we're in the dark, yes? Okay, so um, we'll proceed now with our series, and we're just going to kind of dive on in to a few reflections during this Advent season. So I think all of us would agree that these are challenging times. Um, last Christmas, none of us would have ever imagined this past year to look like it has. Uh, for some of us, the last year has brought mixed blessings. Maybe we've connected with friends or family members that live far further away than our normal geographical location. Um, we've been intentional about different connections over Zoom or FaceTime or whatever it is. And so maybe there's been some positives um, to this time, uh, special time with family, or maybe the negative has been too much time with family. <laughs> um, for some and for many more vulnerable in our community and in the world at large, um, this time has been devastating, economically devastating, emotionally devastating, um, devastating even from a physical health standpoint. And so all of us together, as we try to navigate this season and navigate these challenges, we keep using and sometimes even overusing words to describe this present reality. Uh, the most popular word I hear used all the time is unprecedented, uh, meaning like this has never happened before and we are stuck in this time. Um, and we don't know what to do because it's never happened before. So that word, while helpful sometimes, um, at least helpful for our individual um, states, I have never done this before. I've never lived through a pandemic before. Um, is also not maybe the best descriptor because there have been hard times before. And I think we're going to talk a little bit more about this this morning. Um, as we juggle this new pandemic reality, we're often moving from chaos to chaos. I personally am acing first grade. Virtual distance first grade for me is awesome. I am really good at writing my numbers in the right direction, um, remembering the alphabet, sounding at words, all the phonics techniques, I'm amazing at. Um, so we've we found ourselves in new realities, um, moving from busyness to busyness, in some ways being less busy than we've ever been, and in other ways being much more busy than we've ever been. Um, we've lost our liminal spaces, these spaces that sit at the threshold um, and where we can cross over from one sort of bubble to the other. There's no crossing over. There's no liminal space. I don't see people that push and pull on me in the same way that I used to. I don't accidentally run into people and have myself drawn into other stories and other spaces and other realities. Instead, we've all just kind of hunkered down and gotten into bubbles that somehow keep getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And as we are in all of these moments, we lament, we mourn, we get angry, we get exhausted, we're frustrated, things are wearing thin. We grieve milestones that we had planned to celebrate in a particular way and now find ourselves not able to celebrate them in the way we had hoped. Uh, we are grieving months and months and months of isolation. Um, we're we're angry at the moments missed. 
the time lost with people that we love. Um, we're angry at canceled plans, canceled travel, um, all the things that we had hoped for. We are both grateful to be together here online while we're also sort of frustrated and brokenhearted that we're apart. And we feel, as Daniel Tiger says, these two emotions, these two different emotions at the same time, and that's okay. It's okay to feel two different emotions at the same time. So even as you've shown up to church today, um, you have probably continued to feel both a an awareness of loss, um, that we're not together in the same room, as also um, a gratefulness for the time for the fact that we have technology as we go through this and that we can be together online and we feel that spiritual connection as well. So in the midst of all of this, we now find ourselves in the season of Advent. Technically, we're now at the second Sunday of Advent. Um, Advent literally means coming or approach. And Advent, the season of Advent in the liturgical church calendar invites us to enter into the Christmas season of holy anticipation for the birth of Christ. Um, I noticed this year that very few people complained when Christmas decor and holiday decor started breaking through online and in neighborhoods on the stores well in the middle of October. People didn't even wait till November, um, at least in my neighborhood. People were so anxious to start to see some joy and some hope and the trappings of the holiday season that we started to see things come up right away. I noticed that it was happening even before people were grabbing trees before the turkey was on the Thanksgiving table. We are so anxious and ready to usher in a new season. Um, in part, I think that this explosion of Christmas joy is welcomed into all of our lives and we're not, not many people are bah humbugging it this year um, because we know intuitively that this story is about hope in dark times. It's about finding hope finding light in the midst of the darkness. So even the most cynical amongst us longs for this nostalgia during this time, this, this beautiful season. Even I find myself um, overlooking all the historical inaccuracies about um, the Christmas narrative and story and the nativity scenes that I normally find so irritating and normally in years past during this season have preached on um, trying to sort of almost like ruin Christmas for everybody. You know, those pesky details that I've preached about in past years, like there's not an innkeeper in the story or an inn, um, and it didn't look like an English barn and the stable and there probably weren't cows. And we don't know exactly how many wise men slash magi slash worthy kings. Um, and we we know that babies cry. Of course the baby cried. Um, no animals are really mentioned in our story. Um, it was anything but peaceful. I like to talk about all of these things, including the fact that it's possible that these events of the birth of Jesus did not even occur at this time of, this, of year. But right now, this year, in the midst of the pandemic, I'm in it, right? Um, a book, a movie, a show, a decoration. I see it. And I think, what a beautiful European countryside nativity scene. Good on you. Grab, grab Santa. Put Santa there. I'm sure Santa was there too. Stick him in the scene. I'm sure he was there. Rudolph definitely was on the rooftop. Whatever gives you some joy, whatever helps you move through this next season, um, let's Let's do it together. But I would at least like to take a few moments today to point out one aspect of our Christmas story that often gets lost in the middle of 
the sights and the smells and the beautiful lights and the silver bells and the tinsel. I think the real power of the story of Jesus' birth is that Christ's arrival, we encounter it. We see that in Christ's arrival, God is entering into the chaos. In Christ's arrival, we encounter God entering into the chaos, the brokenness, the pain, the injustice, the darkness of our world, taking it upon himself to heal, to restore, to redeem, to rescue. Jesus arrives in the midst of great darkness. Themes of light and darkness flood our scriptures. As Isaiah says, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. I mean, if that's just not good news, I don't know what is. We, if we are in a land of deep darkness, if we've been walking in the dark, we long for light and want to see it. In the Bible, God is often represented by light or fire. And that fiery presence of God, that wild, untamable light, pierces even the deepest darkness, warms us, lights our way, and brings hope. So if you are feeling like you are living in some dark times, then the Christmas story is for you and for me. Mary, Jesus' mother, was also living in very dark times when the angel Gabriel visited her and said, hey, you are going to get pregnant miraculously, and you will give birth to God's son. That was quite an announcement. Gabriel showing up in the middle of Mary's life, unmarried, virgin, Jewish woman living in an oppressive Roman regime. Um, And there she is. The angel Gabriel shows up and tells her that the impossible is going to happen in the middle of some dark times. Let's read Mary's response as she then goes and sees her cousin Elizabeth, and they talk about their miraculous pregnancies. Um, This is from Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 48. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is God's name. God's mercy is for those who fear God from generation to generation. God has shown strength with God's arm. God has scattered the proud and the thoughts of their hearts. God has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. God has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. God has helped God's servant Israel in remembrance of God's mercy, according to the promise God made to our ancestors, to Abraham and his descendants forever. Now, this is quite a powerful song that Mary sings, and I think a lot of us grew up with images of Mary that were very, you know, pristine and angelic and virginal and all of those things, and so we kind of think of Mary as just this sweet, passive, peaceable, okay, whatever you say, God, like, may it be to me as you have said, and simply just sort of snuggling and holding the baby Jesus. And there certainly were likely aspects of Mary's personality that were very nurturing and and often calming for the baby. But I think when we hear what Mary sings in Mary's Magnificat here, 
it looks a bit more like this. I think this is a better picture of Mary for this song. She is talking about how God, through the person of Jesus, through this this breaking in of the world and the anticipated birth of Jesus, has now cast down the mighty, sent the rich away empty, filled the hungry, and lifted the lowly. This is not something that I feel like is my typical lullaby that I'm going to sing to a baby, although I think I might now. Um, and we start to see that at the heart of Mary's song is the belief that God sees, God sees injustice, God loves us, God welcomes, God rescues and defends the forgotten, the marginalized, the suffering, the oppressed, and the downtrodden. God cares about all of these things. And in Christ, in the birth of this baby, to a young vulnerable woman named Mary, God is now setting things right. Justice is coming, Mary says, to the oppressed and to the oppressors. Those who've been oppressing in this dark time of Mary's life will no longer do so, and therefore they will also experience justice. How does Mary sustain such hope in the midst of such dark times when you have a Roman Empire that has massacred massacred the Jewish people and lots of different uprisings and events? When you've you have a woman who is living um, in an area that's probably taxed upwards of 90%. So in poverty, um, having to make long journeys at the capricious command of, of Caesar. Um, how does she sustain hope in a dark time like this? What gives her such a belief that in God's goodness and in God's deliverance, what gives her belief in those things when she lives in the midst of these horrific powers of empires, of systems, of slavery, of dehumanization, of loss of autonomy, um, in, in patriarchal societies um, where she does not have the voice that she might want or long for, given the fact that she's able to sing a song like this? And what gives her hope when she's being asked to do and believe the impossible? Mary leans into God's character. Mary leans into God's promises, into God's covenantal promises made to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and all of their descendants. Mary remembers. She remembers and references, even within her song, women who came before her, um, who sang these songs of hope amongst times of Israel's oppression, women like Miriam and Deborah and Hannah. And for those of you interested in further study on Mary's Magnificat specifically and the historical context and some of the references, I highly commend to you um, Pastor Omer's message at Spark on July 5th this last summer. He goes into great detail of, of Mary's um, song here. So I don't think that it is Mary's blind optimism that causes her to have such hope. I, I think she's heard of God doing the miraculous before. She knows these stories and she's telling them to herself again in the moment and telling them to her cousin. She knows that in the course of Israel's history, things have been bad before. That for her, this Roman occupation, this difficult time, is not unprecedented. Mary knows what we don't, or what we've often forgotten. She knows that the darkness of the days that is here has come before and may come again. 
that Israel has been overrun, besieged, exiled, nearly destroyed, brought to the brink of the breath of existence, only to return again. Mary's faith and hope and ours is not, nor should it be, based upon the signs of change in the empires of her day or of our day. Um, it's not based upon um, hints or understandings or careful readings of, of tea leaves or fortune telling or tweets um, or in any personality or leader. Her hope is found in God, in God's character, in the history of God's interaction with God's people, and in seeing how God continues to keep God's promises. And now in the sending of Christ, God will now bring to pass those promises of Isaiah 9 and others. Mary's hope is that in Christ, in Messiah, God is responding, rescuing and setting us free. That God is not leaving us lost in our sin or our chaos or darkness, fumbling about. But in Christ, God is now crashing God's kingdom to earth as it is in heaven. In Christ, the Prince of Peace is born and the kingdom of God is at hand. And this is the reason why Mary is the mother of Jesus and why she sings. Mary's song and her concern for the oppressed, the marginalized, um, those suffering, for those like herself, um, her ability to see hope, justice, and light in the darkness is the song that Jesus too will sing. It's the song he grows up hearing and the song that he then sings through his ministry and life and mission and interactions. For Jesus does indeed fill the hungry with good things, doesn't he? And he does even send the rich away empty. Jesus arrives in the darkness and finds us there. He illuminates us and enlightens all that is darkened by sin, bringing light and justice and love to all of the dark corners of our heart, of our lives, of our worlds. And Mary knows that the light of Christ exposes places of bondage and oppression, delivering the world to the freedom it so desperately needs and longs for. This all shapes these sentiments, this, this cry for justice, this cry to cast down the mighty from their thrones and to lift up the lowly, to, to fill the hungry with good things and to send the rich away empty. This prayer, this crazy, beautiful, revolutionary prayer of Mary's, um, it shapes Jesus's ministry and his teaching and his mission for Jesus does and do, do these things. In John chapter one, verse five, it says that the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not overcome it. That is true. And even as darkness persists in this present season, as well and in seasons before, other pandemics that are long gone from our memory, but our memories are short, that are actually not long gone from history, other risings of, of evil and injustice and <clears throat> suffering and pain, that though, dark, though darkness persists, Christmas is the promise that it will never, darkness will never have the final say or the last word. No matter how dark it may be, there is always a light to be found. And not only is the light never overcome, that light of Jesus never overcome, but the light reaches us in the darkness and promises us that we too shall be enlightened by that light. And that as Jesus says, that we too can be that light, that shining city on a hill.
Church, I pray that together we can start to see the light around us in this dark world and specifically in the advent, the approach of Jesus. Not only that we celebrate his birth 2,000 years ago during this season, but also that we look forward to that second advent when he will come again. That light that will shine and overcome the whole world with love and justice and goodness and might. And we will start to see things brought to right. Spark, we will now move to a time of communion as we do every Sunday, remembering this invitation arrival of Christ in our lives and this invitation at the table. For on the night in which he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus took the bread, blessed and broke it, giving it to his disciples, saying, Take, eat. This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, after supper, he took the cup, gave thanks, and gave it to them, saying, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. All are welcome at this table.